Good evening, everyone. So once, if you've preached at a place for long enough, then you start to use your illustrations again. Does that happen with you, Sabu, that you reuse your illustrations? Now, I thought about it, and I think the Christian thing to do is to continue to laugh at them, even though you've heard it before, and to pretend like you're hearing it for the first time, and to be equally amused. Now, uh, that particular illustration that I want to kick us off with is this, and that is when, when I was in my... At Varsity, I, I had the privilege and the opportunity to go on these Contiki tours, and these are tours through Europe, but it's for young people, and they put you on a bus, and uh, you are there with people from Australasia and North America and wherever, and there's a lot of hormones on that bus going, going through Europe, and it, it can quickly become a, a debaucherous affair. And how you had to introduce yourself on this bus, so you had to say your name, where you're from, and what's your favorite sex position. So I went there and I said, this is my name, and I'm from South Africa, and as far as sex position is concerned, I, I can't really say that I've, I've tried it, um, but I've, I mean, I've watched television, I can tell you what works for them, but I, I, I can't really speak from, from experience, uh, like I'm, 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 a, I'm a virgin. And I went to sit in my seat, and there was an Australian next to me. His name was GJ. And uh, he looked at me, and he just said, you're a genius, mate. Um, I said, what? You're a genius, mate. And I said, why? Putting a price on your head. You're a genius, mate. Uh, and he was, he was convinced it's an elaborate ploy that's sort of part of my um, hook-up routine. What I, what I try to do, I try to make as if I, I am this innocent, untouched person, but that is just a way to lure the woman. And, and, and GJ was convinced. To, to this day, GJ is convinced that was just a line that was, that was used. But, but what I realized there is that the idea of chastity back then was absolutely foreign, was absolutely absurd. Uh, these... North Americans, Australasians, they couldn't make any sense of somebody who is trying to, to not uh, be sexually active until, until marriage. Now, although it's very controversial today, it wasn't that controversial 70 years ago. 70 years ago, it was sort of the norm, even if people still practiced uh, uh, even if they, if, they, if, if they were sexually active, they would not necessarily advertise it. It would be something that they keep behind uh, closed doors. And just by the way, if I can interrupt myself, the reason I didn't wake up this morning and think we must talk about sex, the reason why we're talking about sex is because we're going through the book of the Corinthians and uh, we just landed on sex. I didn't know that we were going to land on sex when we organized uh, this soccer day with you guys. So it's not as if I thought that you guys really need to hear this message. <laughs> I'm very worried about you. Uh, but I mean, uh, maybe you can learn something nonetheless. But I, I promise you, Sabu so, so didn't phone me and say, do, do me a favor. <laughs> I, I, I need to get through to these guys. Um, so 70 years ago, it, it, wasn't that, it wasn't that controversial, but there was a, a movement that started in Europe. And uh, one of the key figures in this movement was a guy called Sigmund Freud. And he was a psychologist, and whether this is what Freud said or if it's just what his followers believed, he, he said something along the lines of, if we can be sexually active, then that is going to lead to psychological flourishing. 
And a lot of the psychological distress that people experience has to do with the fact that they are being sexually restrained by the culture and by the church. All right? And that was picked up by the culture around uh, the, the, the broader culture. People really believed in it. But they had this pesky problem, and that is... Um, even though they felt like sex is very casual and it is something that, uh, that might lead to psychological flourishing, there was this one problem, that is that people tend to get pregnant when, when they have sex. But that all changed in the 1960s because of an invention. Can anybody tell me what that invention was? The pull. The pull. So once they invented the pull, you had the hippies, the, the sexual revolution that started. Because now for the first time... People could focus on people making sex instead of sex making people. All right? So now that was the only concern people making sex instead of sex making people. And that started this, this massive sexual revolution. Abortion also ha helped the fact that there are all sorts of ways to mitigate the, the consequences of, uh, of sexual activity. And today, if you are sexually active, and, and, and you are expressing yourself like that, that is considered progressive. If you are, if, if, if you are somebody that is, that is more conservative and it is something that you want to wait till marriage, then you are almost considered, un, it's almost considered unnatural. It's almost considered antibody, right? So it's, it's very strange the, uh, the place that we find ourselves in. But we find ourselves in good company because the first... Christians in this Roman Empire, in this Greco-Roman Empire, when they preached their sexual ethic, it would have been very, very confusing to, to the people around them. As a matter of fact, I think the Christians were back then called progressive. Why? Because the, the, no, the, the norm was you had multiple sexual partners, doesn't matter which gender they were, you had thousands of temple prostitutes all over the place. People were sexually super active. It didn't even make sense to try and restrain, restrain that. And in that context, you've got the church saying, no, sex is something that belongs in marriage and, uh, and that's the proper context of it. And you can imagine these, these uh, Romans saying, Geez, this is very cutting edge. This new sexual age, it's very progressive. These guys are really thinking out of the box. Whoa. I mean, we haven't even considered it. And, and maybe they would have been defensive. No, 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 but we've always done it this way. This is a traditional way. Why would you guys want to change this now with your progressive ideas of monogamy? Come on. And it, it, it must have been also very difficult for people to, to try and maintain that chastity in a culture like that. Now, the two passages that I want to read comes from 1 Corinthians 5. You can follow along. <laughs> there are some Bibles there at the back if you guys want to, want to grab one, or you can just check on your phones, or you can just listen attentively. So 1 Corinthians 5, I'm just going to read five verses there. 1 Corinthians 5 from verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and, is, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the person who did such a thing. 
when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that, this, so that the spirit may be saved, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And then I want to jump over to chapter 6 and I just want to read from verse 12. Paul is quoting now, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. But the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then make, take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now, Corinth, the city, was notoriously licentious. What I mean by that is, in, back in the day, if you, if, if you said somebody was promiscuous, then, or today you would say that person is, 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 is a slut, um, because they are very promiscuous. But in 2,000 years ago, in the Roman Empire, they would say, oh, you, you're a bit of a Corinthian, aren't you? You guys are Corinthianizing. So, so they were such a debaucherous place that people even used it as a verb. You are Corinthianizing. That means that you are sleeping with, with everyone. And it was a port city, and uh, what would be, a port city just attracted a lot of feet that would just move through it that would not be uh, that, that would not be locals so you can imagine that a lot of prostitution flourished in that kind of setup it was also a very young city because the city was destroyed a couple of years before this this letter is um, uh, is written to them and it was rebuilt because it's such a strategic place and it was rebuilt uh, but it was a very young city, meaning that you didn't really have well-established families there. So the people who were there were mostly young, and they were detached from their family. They were there, but they weren't in their family context. So can you see how all of these things conspire for something that is sexually very, it becomes sexually very licentious? On top of that, if you looked at the highest mountain in the Corinthian area, you had what is called Acrocorinth. And there was a temple, and that temple was dedicated to Aphrodite. And Aphrodite was the god of sex. Now, you dedicated this massive temple to the god of sex. Now, an interesting debate, which we don't have to have tonight, but it's, I'm not sure if they were super sexually licentious, and then they dedicated the temple to Aphrodite, or whether they dedicated the city to Aphrodite and became sexually licentious. That's, that's an interesting conversation. Um, but, but yeah, 
And at that temple, you had more than a thousand temple prostitutes who would, on regular festivals, just come down into the city, and then there would be public orgies all over the place. And my heart actually breaks for these prostitutes because, to a certain extent, they, they were very vulnerable because in the Roman Empire, because they were so sexually licentious, there were a, little, a lot of unwanted pregnancies, and there were a lot of risks with abortion. So the people would rather just give birth, and then they would put the baby on the rubbish dump. And most of the babies that they would put on the rubbish dumps were, were girls, little girls. And then other people said, okay, well, here's a business strategy. Let's raise these girls, these unwanted girls, and then we just sell them to the temple, and then they can just go into temple prostitution. So it is a tragic, tragic affair what's, what's going on there. All right. Now, in this context, you've got these new believers, and, and they need to try and make sense of this, of, of, of this space. Because remember, the, the Corinthian Christians, they, they weren't Christians for a long time. They've only recently become Christians. They came from that paganism. And you can imagine that they still had a lot of pagan friends who had pagan parties. And you can imagine it must have been very difficult for Julius to be invited now to the, to the orgy. And he's asking his friends, ah, can, can we do something else on Saturday and instead, of, instead of the orgy? And, and you can also imagine that it's very difficult, very easy for him to be pulled back into that, that lifestyle. And, and uh, this is sort of the setup that we find ourselves in. Now, in the first, in the first uh, passage that we read, we we see Paul being very upset because he learned about a case of incest in the Corinthian church. Now, it is not incest in the sense of sleeping with his mother, but he was sleeping with his stepmother, which was still considered incest, although it wasn't biological incest. It was still considered incest. Now, the Romans, they had a very, very bizarre and tolerant sexual ethic, and even the Romans regarded it as wrong to... To, to, to practice incest. As a matter of fact, you were banished to an island if you were caught practicing incest. So even the Romans uh, uh, condemned it. And now this, uh, there's, an act of in, uh, there's a case of incest in the church. And that's why Paul says, not even the pagans do that. I mean, if, if you've got pagans looking at you saying, oh, geez, come on, man, no, no, no. you need to have a little bit of standards, dude. Whilst they are you know, practicing this orgy-ish sex, then you know you're in trouble. And here's something else that, it, that I think is interesting, is that 1 Corinthians is actually not 1 Corinthians, it's actually 2 Corinthians. There was a first letter that we've lost. So 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is actually 3 Corinthians, Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians, we've lost a letter. But he is alluding to that letter in, in this letter, and he said, I already wrote to you about the incest case. Now, it was such an obvious thing that you cannot do, incest. So the only reason commentators think that this, this continued to happen is because this guy was loaded. He was influential in the city. He had lots of money. Maybe he bankrolled the church, and nobody wanted to stand up to him. And now Paul is really uh, doubling down and saying, this guy must go out. He must be pushed out. But notice that this excommunication, him being pushed out, is not just for the sake of uh, hell and uh, brimstone, and it's, it's not just this revenge. It is with the attempt to bring him back in. 
pushing him out is a form of discipline, but it's not for its own sake. It is with the end result of trying to bring this, this person back into, the, back into the fold. All right. Now, in the, the second reading we did from uh, Corinthians 6, uh, verse 12, Paul quotes two very popular phrases that the Corinthians used back then. The first is this, all things are lawful for me. All things are lawful for me. And then he adds this. This is his commentary. He says, but not all things are helpful. And then he quotes it again. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. So you've got these Christians, and they say, uh, we're free. We're free in Christ, bro. We, can, uh, we, we, really have a, we really have a lot of freedom, and I can express this freedom. And I, I'm not sure why they spoke like Capetonians, but apparently they did. And they, 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 have this, they have this freedom that they can just practice. And then Paul says something that I think is fascinating. He says, uh, just make sure that what you call freedom doesn't end in slavery. Because that's probably what's going to happen. You are saying that you are free to do this. But just know that even though you are free, just know if you continue on this path, you will be enslaved. That's probably what's going to happen here. And then he quotes something else, and he says, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will, will, will destroy them both. What is, what, is, what is that all about? That was another quote that was popular among, uh, among the Corinthians back then. Marcus, can you maybe just go evangelize the guys um, next door and just invite them to church? Uh, tell them they can bring their drinks as well. Uh, and uh, well, food for the stomach, stomach for food, God will destroy them both. That, this was a very important, um, a very popular Corinthian saying. You know what it means? The Corinthians saw sex as an appetite. If you get hungry, you eat. If you get thirsty, you drink. If you get aroused, you have sex. There's nothing to it. The, this, is, this, this is all there is. I, it's, it's, just, it's just food for the stomach. It's just sex is sex. It's, it's, it's nothing more. It doesn't mean anything. And Paul is doubling down and saying, this is, this is absolute nonsense. Now, this might be a little bit complicated, but just try and bear with me. There was a Greek philosophy that is actually still very prevalent to this day called Platonic uh, Plato's philosophy, and what he believed is that you could separate the body and the spirit. And the body is bad, the flesh is bad, but the spirit, that is the good side of you. The soul is, 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 is the good side of you. So that's how they, how they reasoned. And Paul is saying, you guys are reasoning like Greeks, not like Jews. You need to think carefully about this, because in the Jewish understanding, we do not make a distinction between the soul and the body. We think both are one to a certain extent and both are holy. And that is why, friends, Jesus was resurrected in the body. Because Jesus was physically resurrected, people say, ah, the flesh is not bad. We thought the flesh was bad. Only the soul is what's supposed to go and live with God. No, no, no. The Jewish understanding, and obviously the Christian understanding, is that the flesh is good and God will resurrect the flesh. As well as, as, as well as the soul. You cannot make a distinction between those two. So what these guys would have typically do is they would say, no, my flesh had sex with the prostitute, but not my soul. Not my soul. I was thinking about God all the time, and um, like I, my, my heart is in a great place. My flesh, 
my flesh is just doing what my flesh needs to do. But they made this, this neat separation. And Paul is saying, it doesn't work like that. They are, they are the same thing. You cannot make that, that what we call dualism. You cannot say that your body slept with her, but not your soul. It doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. It rejects, Paul rejected those distinctions. Are you guys with me? You understand sort of the, the line of thought. Then we come to verse 16 and 17, where he says this. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. All right. So now he moves away from this argument to say that, look, you cannot make this dualistic uh, distinction between body and soul. It doesn't work like that. You cannot, that, that, that is a lame excuse. That is not how Christians see the world. But then he comes to a, an, another point and he says, just know that in that very act of, of sex, two become one. Now, I want to make a physical point and then I want to make a more, let's say, spiritual point on this. The physical point is, is, is the following. The male and female bodies interlock to an extent. It was meant for each other, and we can see that by the design. Likewise, the male and the female temperament complement each other, and we can also see that by its design. Let's say you've got this um, aggressive uh, approach of, of the man who wants to conquer, and, and, and maybe the female who's, who's more about nurturing and soft, and, 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 and that is also expressed sexually. And those two temperaments complement each other. And, and Paul is saying, can, can you see that these things fit in together? Now, I'm going to go in a direction that I shouldn't be because I know that these things are contentious. And I, I, I know that there are many people in this community who do not agree with me. And, and that is really, really fine. I know there's a lot of pain when it comes to this particular topic. And I don't want to engage the whole topic. I, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very unfair. But I, I do want to say this. One of the reasons why the church has historically condemned homosexuality is because it's trying to separate body and soul. When we see that the bodies interlock, when we see that they complement each other, then we are saying that that is good, that is by God's design. And if you say, I don't care what my body does, my soul is attracted to that soul, then then what, what we say is you cannot make the distinction between the body and the soul. Are you guys with me in terms of, you don't have to agree with me. Can you at least understand the argument, um, wh where we're coming from? And, and again, friends, I know that this is very controversial, and we've got, we all have friends that we love and family that we love. So, so please, um, if that triggered you, that point, then please, please be untriggered, because I think the, the conversation can continue um, without that after the following point. <laughs> Uh, which is, that's also why we reject transgenderism. Because transgenderism is basically saying, this flesh is an illusion. It is, it is nonsense. I do not identify with this flesh. My soul, what is inside of me, does not acknowledge the flesh that I was given. And there was a, an ancient heresy called Gnosticism, in the first century. Gnosis meaning we know, those who know something. And the Gnostics, they were very much on the, on, 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 on the idea of you, you are who you are on the inside and your body cannot 
say anything about who you are. So this is almost a modern form of Gnosticism to a certain, to a certain degree. When people say, this is what I feel like, and my body is betraying that feeling. Are you guys with me? That is at least um, so, sort of uh, how I, I think transgenderism is, is often um, communicated. And again, without going into the deep suffering that many of these people are going through, without trivializing a very difficult topic, I do want to say that, that Paul would have said, I think you guys are splitting the body from the soul. And in the Christian understanding, they belong together. Okay. All right. If, you, if you're triggered, please, please come back. Because... Um, Paul goes on and he talks about this becoming one flesh thing, all right? So it's one flesh physically, but there's an interpretation that I like, and it's uh, the late Tim Keller, um, who many of us know about, and, and, and we really loved him without ever meeting him. And uh, he interprets that as follows. He says, you cannot become one with the person sexually without becoming one with that person. What I mean by that is, you cannot with your body express this oneness, but you do not express that oneness with your finances, with your commitment, with your promises. Are you with me? So in other words, you are, you, you've got this, this expression of, of your oneness sexually, but it's not backed up by promises. It's not backed up by um, being financially dependent on each other, being committed to the other person. That is why casual sex doesn't make sense because on the one hand, you are now being one with this prostitute in this particular context, um, but you're not one with her financially. I mean, you're going to probably pay her something, but, but, but that is definitely not what, what we have in mind here. Um, you're not one with her in terms of uh, socially, emotionally, it's, it's completely out of proportion. And those of you who are into horror will know that usually a monster, what makes a monster a monster is there's one aspect of that being that is out of proportion. So usually they've got like a massive ear or a massive head or, or something, and then it, it, it might look a little bit scary. And the reason why it looks scary is because it is out of proportion with the rest of his body. And that is why casual sex is monstrous to a certain extent, because it is out of proportion with all of the other things, which is the emotional aspect of it, the social aspect, the economical aspect. Are you guys with me? Do you at least understand the argument? So you can't be one with someone without being one with someone. It, you need to tick all of those, all of those boxes. It's a, it's a package deal. Let me just do a little bit of a detour and say this. All of us... All of us, at one stage or, the, or another, or probably now, practice casual sex with God. <laughs> God uses the intimate language when he describes our relationship with him. How often do we, are we just after that spiritual experience? How often are we just after that little bit of help, that little bit of higher? But when it comes to commitment, <laughs> we're not there. When it comes to our finances, we're not there. But when it comes to, oh, no, 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 I've, I've, I've had a great spiritual experience. But, but now when it comes to sort of the hard commitment stuff of, of trying to really study scripture, to really pray, to really be in the fellowship, um, no, 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 I, I can't do that. You know what you're doing? You're sleeping with God. 
and then and, 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 and you're sleeping with him without all of these other aspects being in harmony with one another. Do you guys understand the, uh, the illustration? I'm not making any accusations because uh, that, is, that, that is me at least twice a week. Then verse 18 is a very tricky one, and it's been, it's been much debated. Verse 18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, I'm not quite sure what to make of that, because on the one hand, uh, it's not quite true, because if you use drugs and if you're an alcoholic, you're also sinning against your own body. But I think Paul is trying to make a very strong point that when it comes to the sexual there is something more than just sex that is going on there. And I don't understand this, friends. I can't tell you that I can understand it. I can just tell you that I think from the Christian perspective, uh, the, the, the biblical worldview seems to think that, that sex means more than just the physical act. And this has been illustrated to me recently in Canada, there was a secular court. I mean, Canada is as secular as, as, as can be. If you, if you find a Christian there, then take a picture of them because they're endangered. But uh, the, the court annulled a marriage. You guys know what annulment is. So it's not divorced. They declared that the marriage was not consummated. And you know what was the grounds of annulment? They didn't have penetrative, penetrative sex. So because of that, they annulled the, the marriage, and it, and it didn't go the divorce route. So even in the secular culture, there seems to be some way in which you say, ah, you see, when there is something like sex, there is, uh, there is to a certain extent, a consummation of, 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 of the decisions being made. And without that, I actually have a friend um, who... He's, uh, without going into, into a lot of detail, he's uh, disabled, and, and, and they, he, got into a, he was engaged, and then they got married, and uh, there were all sorts of issues, but, but one of it was um, uh, sexually they struggled, and eventually they annulled the marriage because this girl couldn't handle it, and it was very tragic, but there wasn't consummation of it. So can you see that perhaps, perhaps there is just something more than sex than, than, than we know. The other point is this, and this one I'm very serious about, or very sure about, and that is, one thing I know is, is that sex goes straight for the heart. Why do I say that? Because most of the people I know, and I know a lot of you, are in some way or have been in some way addicted to something sexual whether it is pornography, whether it is something in your, uh, in your background. One way or the other, most people that I know have had some sort of struggle with the sexual. That tells me that sex has a, it, it is a very powerful thing that can really capture our hearts. And I'm not just talking to men, by the way. Women, I think to a certain extent, you guys are, are, are just as uh, guilty of, of, of this, even though it doesn't look exactly like men, but your obsession with, romantic, with romanticism is a form of this being out of proportion. So for example, I don't watch these movies, but I've got friends who told me about these movies. 
Um, but, but in Twilight, you've got, this, you've got this nice girl, and she's like, oh, man, who am I going to choose? Because he's a werewolf, and he saved me a couple of times, but he's a, he's a vampire, and he also saved me. And uh, the, who am I going to choose between these two boys who, who are just deeply in love with me? Why do you think they scripted like that? Because they know the female psyche is obsessed with these two men who would literally die to, to try and save this person. Hunger Games, same plot. Um, oh, you really helped me in District 6, but oh, you really helped me in the Hunger Games. Who am I going to choose, this boy or that boy? Uh, and, and, and they dragged that out for three, four series. I'm not sure how long it was. But the, the, the fact of the matter is that that love triangle is something that sells to the female psyche. Um, because there is a bit of an uh, inappropriate uh, leaning desire towards the romantic. So, so even those desires are out of, out of step. All right. So, so most of us struggle with something along these lines. And, and here's the other thing that I know. Is that sex in the popular culture always sells itself as freedom. Just have sex, man. It's really not that big a deal. You can be free. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's really just fun. I think you're making way too much of a big deal of it. It always sells itself as freedom and almost always ends up enslaving you. Now, I remember uh, my sister's friends, they were sort of part of that generation who all went to work in London for a couple of years and they would come back. And when they were in that culture, they felt very betrayed by their conservative upbringing because they, they struggled to, to sort of play the game sexually. And I heard them saying that, oh man, I felt, we, we, felt, we felt very betrayed by our upbringing because we couldn't really express ourselves sexually in that culture. And um, it would have been so freeing to be able to do that. And listening to those people, I can be honest and say that I, uh, I've often doubted the, the logic of chastity. It definitely didn't make sense to my 20-year-old um, body. And, uh, and then when you hear people saying, oh man, I, I, maybe this is just a little bit outdated. Maybe there's something going on, on here. Maybe there is just a lot of freedom and expression that lies on the other side of, of, of being sexually active. It needn't be with prostitutes. It can just be uh, sort of normal cultural stuff that we see all over the place. Here's the thing. It almost always sells itself as freedom, and it almost always ends up enslaving you. Last night I spoke to uh, Nina's uncle, Andre, and we spoke for about 40 minutes on this passage. And he said, he says, you want, you know what's the, what's the key to understanding this passage? He said it's the last verse, verse 20. He said, you were bought with a price. What kind of people were bought in the first century? Slaves. What's the implication of that line? We are enslaved. We are enslaved to all sorts of things. It might be the sexual, the sexual desires can very easily, or romantic desires can very easily enslave us, make us bitter, turn us into addicts. Um, but we are enslaved. And Paul is saying, and Jesus paid the price. He paid the ransom. So now you've got a choice. You can become Jesus' slave. 
Now, that doesn't sound very nice. That's a hard sell, become Jesus' slave. But here's the beautiful biblical irony. When you become Jesus' slave, only then do you become free. Only then do you become truly free. Take sells freedom and ends up in slavery. Jesus sells slavery and it ends up in freedom. He bought us with a price. All right. Friends, perhaps you feel unconvinced. If you're online uh, or wherever, perhaps you feel uncon- unconvinced by, by this message. And, uh, and that is fine. That is fine. Let me just say this. We must just be careful that we are not just drinking from, from the stream of this culture and taking our cue from, from this world. Just be convicted that this is a biblical worldview that, 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 that you are perpetuating, even if you are unconvinced uh, this evening. Uh, that's the one thing that I would say. The other thing I would say is that the church must, the church, the church must look different to the rest of the world. We must. We must give atheists something to not believe in. In other words, if they, if they come here and they say, oh yeah, you guys are just like me, and you just, you, you just want me to believe in the Jesus stuff. Oh, okay. But why would I want to believe in the Jesus stuff if, um, if it's exactly like you? Then it doesn't really mean anything. Uh, there's this quote that I love from a skeptic. His name is Ben Six Smith. And I recently read this, uh, this article of his, and he says this, I'm not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much if they want to become more like me. We must be careful that we are not those kinds of people who are so desperate to just fit in with culture that we try to, uh, that, 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 that we try to be this accommodating church. We must, it's, it's a very difficult ethic, sexual ethic to uphold. But let's not lower the bar, let's, let's keep it there. And if somebody says that's too much, then you say, well, I guess that is part of the cost. Perhaps you feel guilt. Perhaps you missed the mark. And I, I want to tell you that when Jesus said he bought us with a, with a price, he means that he, he's already done everything. He's already done the saving. You do not have to live now this sexually chaste life and then he will accept you. No, 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 that's not the gospel. He's already accepted you. Now you must live in that reality. That is the invitation. And by the way, if you feel guilt and maybe you haven't lived up to this, then just know you are in good company because all of us messed up one way or the other. Uh, in, in terms of, uh, of, of the sexual. You're in good company. But the other thing that you must know is that if you've got a picture of God, of him being angry, or anything other than the arms of a loving father just welcoming you back, then you've got the wrong picture. All right. 
So it is, so, so guilt is not one of the things that you can feel tonight. That is, that is not allowed. I break that in the name of Jesus. And then, lastly, I want to say this. This, the first bit that I read to you was the, the story of incest. Now, maybe you feel guilty about how you lived your life up until now, or maybe you are still, um, you know, stuck in some of these patterns. Who knows? But, but just know that you are never beyond redemption. Here's a guy who practiced incest. Here's a guy who uh, was even condemned by the pagans. <laughs> and we know something about the pagans. That, I mean, that is as low as you can go. And then Paul writes this in his second letter, which is actually his third letter. It seemed like they listened to his second letter in terms of disciplining this guy. And he writes this, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 from verse 5. He says, Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for, you, for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Paul, that guy, he's talking about this guy who, who turned away from his, from his incest. And he says... If you are making this guy still feel guilty, stop it immediately. Just offer him forgiveness. Just welcome him, welcome him back. Affirm your love for him. That is what he is saying. And if somebody in Corinth, having this incestual lifestyle, can be brought back and welcomed in the community, then, then so can we. Friends, here's the other thing. Maybe you feel a little bit convicted tonight and you're going to try and uh, be on the straight and narrow. And I know that this is also very difficult when you are single. It, 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 it's a different ball game. Um, but just know that you are probably going to mess up again. I, want, I wanted to say screw up again, but that would be inappropriate. You're probably going to, you're probably going to mess up um, again. And, and that is also okay because you can always be brought back. There's this line. I mean, whilst I'm being naughty, I can just say that uh, there's the statistic that says 90% of people masturbate and 10% of people lie. And uh, now, I do not want to go into the, to the details of that statistic, but what I want to say is, is that um, there's, a, there's a lot of broken people in this room and everywhere else. But what we need to do is just start again. We just start again. And if you mess up, you just start again. You can be in a, you can be in a community of, uh, where, where people can hold you accountable. You can pray together. Um, but we can rather just start again than to compromise on this. Let's not just give up and bow to what the culture is saying around us. Let's rather begin again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we... we realize that, that, that almost all of us, no, all of us, 
we've missed the mark, uh, especially uh, in, in terms of, of the sexual. And maybe it's more subtle, maybe it's, it's more obvious, maybe it's more on the nose, but all of us, to various degrees, have missed the mark, uh, missed the mark in, 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 in this regard. And Lord, we thank you for the fact that, that we are already forgiven. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you, you give us this very difficult thing to live up to, this very difficult thing to do. But the only thing that is more difficult than your demand on us and on our lives is the grace that comes with it. We know that there's more grace than there is a high standard. And we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that tremendous grace and that we can just continually be sinners running back into your arms. Nonetheless, Lord, even though we don't always understand what you say here, even though it doesn't make sense to us um, biologically, even logically, even though it's very difficult for us to listen to the music around us, watch the movies we watch, listen to our friends and, 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 and the lifestyles that we see around us and still try and live up to this. This is very difficult and we want to acknowledge that, Lord. But I pray that, that we can try and do that in community and by your grace. And Lord, it's, it's what you sell us you sell us slavery, but that slavery leads to freedom. And really, Lord, we want to be free people. If any of us are really stuck in a pattern of, of being truly enslaved, then Lord, we, 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 we pray that, that, that we just break that off tonight. We pray for a massive breakthrough in that regard, Lord. Uh, it's, it's ruined so many people, Lord, and uh, we really want to be your slaves and not slaves to to sex. Lord, we also pray that we can be a community, a Christian community, there in Mums here in Pretoria, where, where, pe we, where we can be a peculiar people. People will look at us and say, this is strange, this is absurd, I, I don't understand why you guys do that. And then may that also be an opportunity, Lord, to testify, to talk about you. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that that you've called us we thank you lord that you continue to call us and that you always welcome us back with so much grace and uh we pray all of this in the precious name of jesus christ the one who bought us amen <laughs>